Hidely Hoadly podcasterinos. This week I have for you an interview with Aaron Burke, a neuroscience graduate from University College Dublin, musician, Wim Hof enthusiast, and good personal friend. Uh, in this week's podcast, we talk about Aaron's thesis work on treating addiction with psychedelics. We talk about Wim Hof. We talk about social media and brain chemicals, free will, determinism, and basically get to the bottom of everything. I know you're going to enjoy this. All right. Oh. What's happening? Um, hey man, what's the story? Not too bad, bro. Not too bad. So what I was, I was hoping to talk about today. Um, I was really interested in what you were telling me about your thesis about yeah. addiction and the treatment and psychedelics. Um, what was it all pretty, about? It's pretty groovy, right? It sounds very cool, man. <laughs> Definitely right up my street. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Do you want me to talk a bit about? Addiction first, I guess, is a yeah. kind of a good way to get into it. Well, yeah, wherever suits most, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it links it links into what you said you wanted to talk about, like social media and all that as well. It kind of links into all yeah. that as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, I guess a good way to think about addiction is like, like you know, dopamine gets thrown around a lot. It's like a yeah. kind of a buzzword at this stage. But yeah. basically, what dopamine is essentially is it's like a, a currency of survival or like mm-hmm. gene propagation right yeah so like um anything that you do that's good for your genes yeah. it's like here have some dopamine so you know if you eat food that's obviously going to make you survive so it's like have so some like, dopamine. you get some dopamine yeah or like mm-hmm. if you you know have sex that's like whoa yeah. you're literally reproducing so have loads of dopamine. <laughs> yeah that's, it's like that's that's really important pride. yeah that's, that's when you like, get like that mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like, whoa, that was, that was extremely important. Let's do oh, that again, you know? Okay. But then, then what, happens, what, what happens is, right, is when you yeah. have, what, what drugs do, right, is they give yeah. you way more dopamine than, yeah. like, than sex ever would. So yeah. what your brain, like, what your brain mm-hmm. then thinks is, mm-hmm. oh, my God, this thing is, in terms of my survival and passing on genes, <laughs> this thing is, like, 10 times more important than mm-hmm. sex. Yeah. And that's and when that, you're, that's like cocaine or alcohol yeah, yeah. or... Well, yeah, no, not, not so much. I mean, alcohol does increase your dopamine, but the ones that would do that is like, you know, the hardcore drugs like cocaine, heroin, stuff like that, yeah. meth. Yeah. Um, interesting, meth is actually the one that increases it the most. It's it's like even like five times, it's like five times more than even heroin. It's fucking ridiculous. Whoa. And what happens then, with, what happens with people who are like methamphetamine addicts is like um, the dopamine levels go so high that they're... A lot of the dopamine receptors just basically leave. Mm-hmm. The, your, your brain gets rid of them mm-hmm. and they, they don't come back. And sometimes yeah. they can not come back for like years. So people then mm-hmm. are just like stuck in the state of not being able to feel pleasure properly. For oh like my years. God. So you have like yeah. no rewards for anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, oh. uh, yeah. It's, 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 it's pretty scary. That's terrifying, man. So dopamine is kind of like, yeah, your evolutionary reward system. You get a little bit of, here's a sprinkling of dopamine if you've been a good boy. Um, and exactly. how does that relate to addiction? So I've heard of dopamine addiction are all, would you say most addictions are, is that reward circuit? So you're kind of. Yeah, all, all mm-hmm. um, drugs of abuse um, and behaviors, basically yeah. anything pleasurable, it yeah. always boils down to dopamine and it, yeah. all, it all boils down to this one circuit in your brain. 
which is called, it's like the mesolimbic circuit, it's called. And it's basically, your limbic system is like the part of your, uh, part of your body that deals with like, you know, uh, behaviors and like goal directed stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, you're, if your limbic system is, is acting up, you can have something like Tourette's. Yeah. Where like, you know, you have these crazy behaviors that just like come you out just and you can't like control it. Spontaneous yeah. kind of yeah, yeah. twitches. And ba- mm-hmm. Basically this this circuit here, it's you have your reward center, which is like the nucleus accumbens and stuff like that, mm-hmm. where it's kind of to see, you know, the center of reward. And like that's where you see most of the brain changes in people who have really yeah. you know, bad addiction and stuff. And yeah, basically just that circuit just gets out of control. Yeah. And you say brain changes because as far as I understand with addiction, it Every time you build that reward circuit, it gets stronger. It reinforces itself. Exactly. So, yes. Mm-hmm. So um, there's basically like in, for example, in that in that area, the nucleus accumbens. Um, like p- when you start engaging in the addictive behaviors, you see all these transcription factors come in, which basically mm-hmm. tell they basically tell your genes to start building proteins and to strengthen connections between those mm-hmm. areas. Yeah. And yeah, it just builds over time. That's really interesting because I've heard it described and with that um, that reward circuit that you've built or that kind of feedback loop, that becomes almost an autonomous sub-personality was how I heard it described. Like, because there's an interesting thing, like if you're addicted to something, obviously your thoughts will be about that thing. You'll have like a voice in your head phenomenologically that'll be like, oh, it's okay, you can do it. Um. And so the more you build that reward circuit, the more you have this kind of autonomous. So, and when you stop, when you stop being addicted to something, if you stop doing it, does it return to normal after a period of time? Or is there like a cutoff? Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's, you know, it does it ever go back to, does it ever go back mm-hmm. to normal? Like the, the baseline yeah. before you're addicted or yeah. is it always, I mean, the kind of scary thing about the modern age is we're all kind of primed for addiction all the time. That's what I'm like, thinking, you know, man, is that we're all kind of becoming where all these new technologies are specifically manipulating that reward system. Exactly. Yeah. And they prime you. Like it's been shown that, um, like, you know, you know, the whole gateway drug thing, like yeah. it's, it's yeah. obviously, it's kind of silly when it can't, it's a silly idea, but for some, in some ways it's actually true. Cause like, um, it's been shown that for example, smoking cigarettes does actually yeah. prime you and make you more likely to get addicted to other drugs because it's like you're, mm-hmm. it's the same reward circuit that's working, yeah. right? So yeah. it's like setting it up mm-hmm. and then, and then you're, you're kind of, you know, it's like then once it's been set up, it can be effective. More it easy, moves right? to all these other different things. I remember because we were talking previously, uh, I was saying about, I think I was talking on the podcast about quitting smoking and about also the desire to use social media feeling very the same like where i was trying to stop using social media but sometimes when i'd normally look at it i'd get like i'd have the impulse to kind of open it up on my phone and i kind of catch myself doing it and then it felt very similar to when i quit smoking where i'd be at a bus stop or something i'd get a craving so it's interesting that they're actually the same yeah, you know. yeah it's funny it's funny that you say that because mm. of all of the drugs i think uh social media is probably the most similar like in terms of the yeah. mechanics of it, to uh-huh. cigarettes, because yeah. like what what's happening when you're basically scrolling on your phone yeah. is your brain is going, oh, novelty, 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 yeah. and like basically, I was saying this to you the other day. Like uh, the reason novelty gives you dopamine is because back in the day when we were, you know, cavemen, 
Yeah. If you saw something new, like you're walking across the savannah or whatever, like it's not, it's going to be all the kind of same thing. And then something new is either going to try and eat you or you're going to eat it yeah. or, or you're going to like mate with it. So it's probably important. You know it's, I mean? Yeah, it's got, it's, it's significant. Like, and then obviously yeah. the infinite scroll is constant novelty. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically tapping into that. It's like, here's a new thing. Here's a new thing. And you're like, whoa, whoa, this is important. This is important. Yeah. And similarly, cigarettes do the same thing where it's just like, uh-huh. It's just like a, every time you take a, a toke, it's like a little burst of dopamine. It's not, it's, it's, not like, it's not a big burst, but it's a little, and it's just, it's like that repeated usage, you know? And there's like, and is there, there's an anticipatory reward as far as I understand in that, like, you know, when you get the urge to smoke and you get like a certain amount of, um, like a preamble of dopamine, the anticipation well, of it. Well, the, the, the interesting thing about dopamine, which kind of blew my mind when I first heard it is it's actually not. It's actually about it's actually about anticipation. It's not about yeah. the reward mm-hmm. itself. Like yeah. when you look at the when you look at brains, yeah. like if you look at you know the, the, they do it with mice and stuff where they can mm-hmm. see the dopamine fluctuations and yeah. the massive spike of dopamine doesn't happen when you take the thing. It's actually the anticipation mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, that's when the wait. That's what by far when the most comes, which is which is <laughs> kind of makes you. I don't know. I did the did the people who designed Las Vegas understand the dopamine dynamics? You know what I mean? like, <laughs> yeah. The fact that like it's it's the mm. it's it's the anticipation and the kind of like you yeah. know the yeah. <laughs> and then when you actually get it, you're like, yeah, oh no, because I mean it's a goal. It's as far as I understand, I've been studying some of the neurobiology of personality lately. The work of Kenneth L. Davies and Yock Pangsa, looking at their um effective neuroscience personality scale and the way they split it up obviously is between positive emotion and negative emotion and positive emotion as far as i understand pushes you towards a goal negative emotion takes you away from it but the positive emotion seems to be related to that dopamine system where while you're pursuing the goal you get the hit of dopamine but once you actually get it it just dies off so we're always kind of on this treadmill of you know going from one goal to another and does so you think about social media and the infinite scroll it's just kind of hijacking that system that we should be using for other goals but that makes it is that a sensible analysis or is it totally yeah mm-hmm. i mean it's just taking advantage of our of our brains that are yeah evolved, evolved for mm-hmm. like the modern age is just ridiculous compared to what our brains are capable <laughs> are evolved for you know yeah and that like there's whole industries manipulating those evolutionary weaknesses i mean i feel like there should be some sort of bill or something like it's like an animal rights issue like <laughs> you can't <laughs> like it's you like, can't you can't be manipulating cave people all right you need to get, get peter in here yeah, get, looking, like get peter to sort stop letting us all get manipulated yeah, like. yeah, yeah. <laughs> poor little caveman's just getting getting the run around like it's so true though we're so unprepared for like this this level of um invasive technology it's totally yeah it's crazy but, man. but it, it's not just it's, it's it's not just um altering our minds like mm-hmm. that wim hof stuff yeah it all it all feeds into that in the sense that like mm-hmm. it's uh we're we're way too comfortable as well you know yeah like like in the modern world our temperature like we basically never leave the cocoon of like you know mm-hmm. we're, we're outside we wear a coat we come home we have heating yeah you no know, we're, we're always comfortable yeah. And as it turns out, it's actually not good to always be comfortable. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the example that people understand is like, you know, you need to exercise. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you don't exercise, you just fall apart. But that that's only one aspect of, you know, all the different the 
all the different things like you know there's there's being cold that's a part of survival there's yeah. eating you know mm-hmm. there's like like to our evolutionary past people would have been cold at times they would have been starving at times you know yeah. they would have had to run for their life at times mm-hmm. and all those things like we evolved to for those things to always be used for those for, purposes you know what i mean and there was like healing mechanisms that were kind of inbuilt yeah. from as a result of them like with exercise you know you you recover from it and the fact that all that is getting neglected is basically a massive contributor a lot of people reckon to like all the chronic illnesses, you know? Yeah, autoimmune problems and stuff. I've heard Wim Hof talk about that a lot. Like his yeah, idea yeah, yeah. is that you stress the immune system in order to almost reset it, or you stress the nervous system, I think, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. to reset the immune. Yeah, I do. Well, like that's the cold immersion therapy really, isn't it? That's kind of like yeah. uh, a way of just shocking your body. And he seems to be able to cure a lot of people with autoimmune problems and kind of slightly more... I'm thinking fibromyalgia, but illnesses that might not have a defined cause. They just seem to be, you know, that you're um, suffering some sort of immune your problem. Kind of, your body's like attacking itself. Yeah. And then he's able to tap into it too. Well, he seems to be able to do it with his own body. I mean, that thing where they injected him with a flu virus or something, wasn't it? And then he the, was the, able... the en- endotoxin. It was endotoxin. It's, yeah. it's, like, it's like a part, it's like a part of the bacteria that's meant to give you an immune response. Mm-hmm. And he was able to consciously fight it off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's just like <laughs> the, fun, the thing I find really funny about Wim Hof, Wim Hof is like when you, li- when, when you listen to him, yeah. he just sounds like a complete guru lunatic, which he kind yeah. of is. And yeah. like, you're like, this guy just sounds like he's full of shit. And then he's like, oh, wait, he, he, he can actually control his immune system with his brain. It's quite <laughs> <Yeah>. strange. <laughs> I'm just but, imagining like tiny Wim Hofs in his bloodstream, like fighting off yeah, the flu. Yeah. <laughs> like, just like karate chopping them and shit. How's he doing this? <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. There's actually, um, there's a guy called Scott Carney who, um, who was like a journalist who was like, his whole, his whole shtick was basically disproving mm-hmm. gurus and basically yeah. showing how ridiculous they are and he yeah. went to Wim Hof to basically be like yeah. this guy's an idiot like listen to his outlandish claims yeah. and he was like oh wait I, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm after doing his method for like a week and I can now climb topless up this mountain in Poland and I'm just grand you're like ah and, he, and he's like yeah he's like yeah. wait a second you know but he's yeah. great because he has a book called um, What Doesn't Kill Us and it's really good because yeah. it's like the science behind mm. the whole thing yeah. Minus the guru, fucking like mm-hmm. you know, crystal hippie kind of nonsense. Yeah. Like that, that, that with that whim has sometimes. Like I love him, but mm-hmm. you know he can. Uh, yeah, he can go a bit off. off off the deep <laughs> yeah. end on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting. I mean, because he learned those things through kind of pushing himself over the edge a lot of the time, and that's where I mean he would have proved a lot of. If you had to make predictions before he did that, a lot of scientists would have been like, yeah, that's not possible. You can't do that. But then this just crazy fucking Dutch guy is just like, ah, I'm going to go swim in the ice, yeah? And then he just fucking <laughs> proves well, it's, everybody it's actually, wrong. It's funny, it's funny because it's only a recent thing where like, they yeah. had this, they had this um, dogma for years that the immune system and the brain were separate and there was no connection. Very interesting. And, I remember me and yeah. you talking about this in Berlin several years ago. Wow, that's, a, that's a good memory. That's a good memory, dude. Yeah, I know. Very specific. Uh, it's probably it's probably at like five in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a Tuesday, I believe, and we were yeah, yeah. we were wearing blue, and there was um, <laughs> no. I was, but I do have a distinct memory of it because it's something with martial arts. The guys that I was chatting to on the podcast, um, two chaps endurance, which will be out this week as well. We were talking about that kind of thing about 
almost hacking your own body with endurance, like how you can um, influence your your subjective feeling, I suppose, through these types of exercises or you're um, controlling your health in situations that would seem like, you know, very abnormal for people. Our bodies are really designed for massive stress and you can kind of through endurance stress inoculate yourself is a good word I've heard lately. Um, whereas what you're talking about where we're very warm, we're very safe and we don't really use the full range of our, uh, our capabilities that we've evolved. But do you think that what's filling the gap of that is the technology, the technological substitutes? Because I don't know, the way I kind of think about it, like we, we have this drive forward, this dopamine system, which we're supposed to use for, uh, goals that we're pursuing. But because that's being hijacked so much, that kind of can fill the need, the, what would you call, I don't know, maybe the drive to actually take on challenges. I don't know. Yeah. Is that just? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, totally. Yeah. I mean, it is. That's, that's what it is at, at mm-hmm. the end of the day. It's just mm-hmm. the goals and like yeah. what were, you know, our goals when we were, you know, cavemen was just to yeah. survive. Right. Yeah. Now our goals have been abstracted like by, by modern <laughs> yeah. humanity. Like our goals now are like, Ooh, I'm going to, you know, go to college and then I will, I'll become an internet person or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, still, yeah. it's still, a, it's still a goal at the end of the day. It's yeah. We're, it surprised me studying um, a bit of personality or a bit of act, affective neuroscience, how much of our evolutionary past is still in the brain. I never really put that together. I always kind of avoided biology because I was just, I liked social science and you could just lie about things and make stuff up and be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's all a metaphor, man. It's all, it's it's all not, opinion, bro. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's your interpretation, man. You're like, no, it isn't. It actually exists. But like, how our brain is layered on top of itself, like that we still have bits of our brain that are in common with like lobsters or like mouse or mice and monkeys. And it's, it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned metaphor because yeah. that's uh that's one thing I was talking to you about the other day, which mm. I, which is really, which is a funny one. Yeah. Like um, our brain ha- has, a, has like in our, with our brain metaphor, mm-hmm. like we, we know metaphor from like poetry and stuff, but it yeah. actually comes, it actually comes true. Right. Yeah. Like, there's a part of the brain called the insula, which is yeah. to do with disgust. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, the if you think about moral disgust as a concept, like that's a, a pretty new thing. Yeah. Like it's only, you know, like how, how long has that been In around for? Evolutionary timescales. Yeah, I don't think chimpanzees get morally disgusted about things. You know what I mean? Nope. Um, but, yeah, so the brain wasn't just going to go, okay, we need to create a whole nother region for this. It's obviously yeah. going to like... What it did was it went okay. Well, we already have a region for disgust, mm-hmm. so we'll just use we'll use the same we'll use <laughs> yeah. the same one. And we'll just add basically. something onto it. Yeah. yeah, and then and then we basically we have a really hard time distinguishing between yeah. like what's moral disgust and what's you know disgust because of a sensory thing. What's and actually, we actually wrong? Yeah, we interchange between the two. So like, yeah. if you're talking about Hitler or something, you'll say it makes you feel sick thinking about it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's like there's like the language it, it, how the metaphor yeah. blends together. Do you get me? Oh yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love um, George Lakoff and Mark Johnson's work, Metaphor We Live By. They, he has, Mark Johnson has a book as well called The Body in the Mind. And this is what he talks about where our bodily experience, our abstract concepts are based on our bodily experience of the world. So you'll have all these metaphors like I'm up on the money, I'm down in the dumps, 
you know, yeah. he's a bit left of center. Uh, and then all those moral ones as well, like, you know, Hitler would have had all those metaphors, like they're, they're a disease on the body, the clean Aryan body and all this kind of totally, shit. Yeah. So our, our actual conceptual systems are, they're not these kind of free floating abstract things. They're very much the, the way we understand them is through our bodily experience of objects and three dimensional space and including how like us, the way we're vertical, even things like all the metaphors of being down as being bad, because if you're dead, you're going to be down. If you're up, you're higher up in the status hierarchy. So up is good. And it's really, um, it shows the, um, the limits of thought very much on, um, because of our evolved ancestry pretty much. But, um, It's cool. There's 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 some other experiments with that which I just find amazing. Like they, they have one right where basically they they kind of trick the person so that they send them. You know, they like here's the where the experiment's going on. But what they don't realize is that it actually starts in the elevator on the way there, where oh, someone yeah. someone has like a, a load of stuff in their hands and they're kind yeah. of like struggling with it, and they have either a, a, a mug of hot or or cold t- uh, coffee, and they mm-hmm. ask, "Will you hold this for me, please?" Yeah, um, just to you know to help them out, whatever. And then the person goes into the place and they do an it they have to basically rate an interviewer on how cold or warm their personality is. And yeah. it's affected massively by, <laughs> by hold, the holding <laughs> yeah, by holding the cold or warm thing. Yeah. That's yeah. That kind of gives you an idea of where our perceptions are coming from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another <laughs> one with like uh with uh, it's like a yeah. uh, it's like a, they have to evaluate a candidate mm-hmm. while holding either a heavier clipboard or a lighter clipboard and they yeah. judge the person as being more serious because it's like a weighty matter. I mean, <laughs> the gravity of the situation and it's like being, it's being like weighted oh, down in their hands, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of terrifying when you think about it, that that's kind of the, that's our decision-making criteria, whether or not you held a hot cup of tea before this. The, the, the other one I really <laughs> love, the other, the other one I really love is, um, have you heard about the stuff with conser- conservatives and disgust? Yeah, so discur- uh, the conservatives being people that are generally more disgust sensitive versus liberals that would be more higher in openness to experience, like the creativity yeah, yeah. dimension. Like they, like they, can, they did an experiment where they were like... Uh, they had brains, you know, they had brain scans and they got yeah. like people who are either conservative or liberal mm-hmm. and they showed them a load of pictures of, yeah. you know, things that would be morally appalling, you know, yeah. you, can imagine, you can imagine what that would be. Oh yeah. I and, think I uh, know then the things like where it's like, if uh, like two cousins or something went into the woods and decided to sleep together, but never told anybody about it. Yeah, and all that kind of is stuff. it wrong? Or like burning an American flag. Yeah. I yeah, think Jonathan, yeah. that's Jonathan Heights. Yeah. Cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one, yeah. Yeah. And um they could predict with ninety five percent accuracy who yeah. who was conservative or liberal just by looking at the brain scan and how yeah. disgusted they were, right? Yeah. And like I just find that hilarious because you know all these like internet like mm-hmm. lunatics like Ben Shapiro and stuff, and his whole thing is like his like fact over feelings. And it's like literally the conservative mindset is the feelings mm-hmm. over the facts. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, oh, well, I mean that way more. Yeah, I I understand where you come from. That that interesting. That's Jonathan Haidt's work in the Righteous Mind looks at that how people's temperaments really affect their politics more than anything. But yeah. that there's kind of a, um, yeah, people who are higher in creativity would be more likely liberals. People who are uh, higher in orderliness would be, um, conservatives. But a lot of the times we think we come up with our own ideas, but it's actually the ideas are kind of who we are. There isn't this... Uh, exactly, it's the post-talk rationalisation. It's not a rational like, process. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's like, what, we, we, mm. we explain it afterwards. Yeah. After, after it actually happens, yeah. That's jo- yeah, Jonathan Haidt's thing is that he says human beings are fundamentally religious thinkers and that scientific thinking is actually something that's added on top of that through rigorous discipline. That it's actually oh, very yeah. it's, it's not uh, it's it's not our natural way to be to be no. <laughs> to be doing science at all. No. Well, that's you see a lot of that the kind of mythologizing of science in a lot of different areas that goes on. That sometimes it's quite hard to separate what's uh, fact and what's just overly politicized or has become like, particularly in social sciences where people can you can kind of cherry pick whatever facts you want and then just string them together and you're a bit like, eh, I don't know if yeah, these, I, I mean, makes sense. I think so, social social. Social science shouldn't really be called science, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's co- controversial, controversial. I know, and, it's, and I have my all my background is in social science, but it's definitely. I mean, yeah, it's questionable. All right, but to go back to your, it's a good place to go back to your thesis um, about addiction. What was what was your hypothesis in that? What what were you? What okay, yeah, sorry, were you that, that, that was a bit of a detour from that's, the yeah, that's question where we- <laughs> <laughs> For the first twenty five minutes, yeah. slight, slight, slight detour. This but, is going to uh, be a hell of a podcast, man. I knew this. Was <laughs> um, yeah. So basically, if you're addicted, you can they they can do these brain imaging studies where they show that like uh, it's called resting state functional connectivity. It's like there's mm-hmm. a kind of a statistical baseline of yeah. how your brain connects. You know, obviously mm-hmm. everyone's a bit different, but there's a kind of a normal like this yeah. region you know, will connect this much to this region statistically, whatever. And you can show that in any sort of, uh, you know, malfunction of the brain disorder, like Alzheimer's, whatever, addiction, mm-hmm. that this this statistical connectivity is being disrupted to a certain extent. Yeah. And what they showed was with people who, you know, took psychedelics mm-hmm. for their addiction and then yeah. reported themselves that they it helped them massively with those people, yeah. that it was that when they looked at the brain scans, it did actually go closer to baseline to what would be expected afterwards. It was very like, interesting. It was like it was like you know it got stuck in this kind of aberrant state where yeah. it was like balanced in this weird way, and then yeah. you know the psychedelic comes in, breaks all the connections. It all goes kind of nuts for a while, yeah. and then it kind of resets in. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously using that terminology. It's a metaphor, like anything, but yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, it, but it makes. I mean, it, yeah, it's a good analogy, I suppose, to understand. The interesting, I mean, like, what was it, 80, in one of the Johns Hopkins studies on psychedelics, it was like 80 to 90% of people that did it could quit smoking. Yeah, that was the, that was the psilocybin one. The psilocybin, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then... But that the, was also, that was only, it was in tandem with, uh, with therapy, right? So okay. Like, it wasn't just you take just it, it was like you, you, take, you take it and they do talking therapy yeah. about it mm-hmm. while you're on it, you know? And I think yeah. it was like two or three times they did it as well, so... yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. And there was another thing I read, man, about uh, psychedelics and creativity. Like the difference in doing psychedelics once increases your openness to experience dimension on a personality test, 15 points, which is the equivalent of like the difference between a person who would like uh, graduate secondary school or a person who goes on to get a college degree. But I'm not, I'm not saying that that means you should automatically go out and do psychedelics or anything like that. Well, but well, it just shows how radical a change yeah. it can have in people's brains. The, the, the interesting thing about psychedelics um, that I learned from doing uh, mm-hmm. that thesis was that yeah. like fundamentally what it actually is, if you look at like what's happening in your brain, yeah. it's basically just like, have you heard of the concept of brain plasticity? Yeah. Yeah. So brain plasticity is, mm-hmm. you know, it's the, the ability of your brain to change. That it can and, transform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The younger you are, 
the more plastic your brain is. So yeah. like when you're a baby, everything that happens around you crafts your brain. You suck it all in. You know, mm-hmm. if you have a bad experience when you're young, you know, it can mess you mm-hmm. up because your brain is so plastic. But mm-hmm. what psychedelics do is they affect your, basically they work through serotonin receptors, but yeah. the result of what they do is you can break it down to, they basically just increase plasticity massively mm-hmm. in your brain. And that's mm-hmm. basically what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so they, they basically just put you back into like a childlike state. Like you're basically just a child. Yeah, it again. seems and like that it breaks down the conceptual structures that we use to make sense of the world. Like Yeah, yeah, like a child, you know. Like, like, a, ch- child, like a child would before yeah. they learn language or Exactly. Yeah. And that's why that's why it, they're dangerous because yeah. if you have a bad trip, that's like a child having a bad experience. You get me? Yeah. It's going to have a lasting impact on your brain because you're And brain also the put, changes you know, that it makes. I mean, a lot of people nowadays think creativity is amazing and that we should all try and be more creative, but the downside of creativity is instability and it's difficulty yeah. in catalyzing a stable identity. So if you go exactly, yeah. increasing your creativity shitloads with psychedelics, there's a good chance you'll actually lose your identity and who you are. And it'll be very difficult to piece yourself. But that's why people, you get those acid victims in the 70s and stuff like that, that are, you know, it, you, it blows apart the, um, the substructures that you use to make sense of yourself and your relationships with 100%, other people. 100%. And also some people are just not able for it, you know? Yeah. Like if you're predisposed to mental illness and then schizophrenia yeah exactly you know like the likes of Sid Barrett you know he just (laughs) shouldn't have been doing it really yeah I mean that's yeah you're gonna go over the edge with it but there is it's an interesting it's cool that it's kind of coming into science now even things like DMT you see are being researched a lot more I think it it seems to be that there are doors opening to it that were closed but like who the hell knows what's going on with that? Like, apparently that opens a door to a different dimension. Like, we kind of have, everybody's a bit like, yeah. um, I don't really know like, how that works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is there is that weird stuff with all the recurring themes that seem to be too similar to each other. Self-transforming yeah. elf machines. and Yeah, yeah, the mechanical elves. <laughs> I'm just thinking of Terence McKenna, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it definitely calls into question a lot of stuff that we take for granted about our minds and about how they work. And obviously you're met, you're playing with fire, playing with that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So this podcast is not advocating going out, doing shitloads of drugs, but just... Not, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Sure, man, we, me and you are like both like the anti-crack now. We're both just like oh, not man, doing I'm, any of that. I'm just, the most sober, <laughs> sober guy in the world. <laughs> I'm not far, too, I'm not far behind you. Like, yeah, well, too ap- sober. Apart from the, apart from the uh, constant addiction to like endorphins from the, from the, from the sea, like, and the river. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Endorphins is an interesting one. Is endorphins the same circuit as a dopamine or it's a separate circuit entirely? Endorphins are just endogenous opioids. Yeah. So it's Mm -hmm. basically, it's like, it's basically just like codeine or heroin, but uh, it's literally nearly, nearly the exact same effect in your brain. Just that it's, just that it's uh it's the endogenous form of it there seems so, to be there's a delay yeah. with endorphins though whereby you only get them after a certain point whereas with dopamine it's this kind of instant gratification well the thing about it is is mm. dopamine like endorphins induce dopamine yeah okay you know I mean? it's not they're not they're, mm. they're not separate as in mm-hmm. like the pleasurable feeling from yeah. endorphins is is dopamine as well you yeah know? it's under uh, i suppose what i'm kind of thinking is comparing it to like running to uh, scrolling on your phone there's this kind of um 
you get obviously running sucks at first, but then you get the after effect of it. Whereas it's yeah, kind of yeah, reversed. Yeah, yeah. And that would be endorphins. Yeah, that's, that's that'd be yeah, that'd be because the endorphins would land and it would take a while for them to be produced, yeah. right? It'd take a while for them to start hitting in the dopamine. Whereas mm-hmm. the phone is just like dopamine, dopamine. Yeah. Have more, just just like constant, you know? Yeah, I'm kind of the way I'm thinking about it at the moment is that what needs to be done is a greater emphasis on not using that instant gratification reward system and focusing more on the endorphins, which would be a delayed gratification. You know what I mean? That there's a trade-off um, because I think you can become, it's so ubiquitous, as we were saying, across like different things, like from alcohol, pornography, social media, you know, cocaine, alcohol, whatever it is, um, that in some sense you can almost by overcoming one of them, you could overcome the other ones. But also, I suppose you're at a weakness if you do one excessively for all the others. Yeah. I mean, the way I think about it is just if something, like lately I've basically just kind of been like, if something has been done like in our evolutionary past for thousands of years, it's probably a good thing because we've adapted to it. If it's a new thing, like that just hacks into your dopamine system. It's probably not a particularly good thing, you know? I think it's kind of, it's kind of that basic really like, you know, running exercise, like jumping in the sea, whatever, that's all tapping into, tapping into systems that have evolved. Like, like when your endorphins get released, you know, like that's the same mechanism as taking heroin, but it's like the natural system that has evolved. It knows how to do it. It knows the right levels and you don't Mm. get it. There's no, there's no like withdrawal from, yeah running skag after yeah like you feel like you, do you know what i mean even though it's yeah. the same exact thing it's just that mm-hmm. you're hacking in like with drugs or with the phone or whatever like yeah. you're hacking into that system yeah it's kind it of cheating artificial way mm. yeah did you ever look at a neuro neuro hacking or no. any of those kind of guys there's an interesting yeah, guy daniel schmachtenberger that talks about it a lot of it's like nootropics and stuff like that, but also the use of psychedelics in neurohacking. But um, this kind of dark side of neurohacking, which is limbic hijack, which is technologies that are basically racing to the bottom of the brainstem to try and override your rational mind so you make impulsive decisions. And that, I mean, that's what advertising is. Like there's a reason ads are yeah. sto- stories and things like that, or they're selling you, you know, anti-anxiety, but it's actually a cleaning product. They're like, you know, you'll never have anxiety again, but it's just, you know, they're trying to sell you a GIF or something. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's manipulating all these subcortical systems. Yeah, and yeah. selling a perfect version of yourself as well. Yeah, selling ideals. Who, who was it again? It was Freud's Freud's um, Freud's nephew who kind of started a lot of emotional. Edward Bernays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he started a lot kind of like appealing to your emotions because before that, marketing was just like, you need this new toilet brush. yeah like you need it like you actually need it and yeah. then it was like oh you need this cool looking one because you look class if you yeah have it. your <laughs> like, friends will so, think you're cool and that's like more women put more hot women in quickly yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Need, we need to sell these toilet brushes that was um, definitely a turning that was definitely a turning point like <laughs> yeah i i'd say in the wrong direction as well to be honest because yeah. i wonder i mean we're kind of removed from ads and stuff to a degree when it's just on tv or just walking around but the, the smartphone ads create, like, I have a weird thing at the moment because everybody's so emotionally fraught a lot of the time. 
But yet life has never been safer. And for the most part, like our needs are met. But people have such high levels of anxiety and negative emotion. And yeah. what, it, what it seems to me, like actually studying marketing recently, that all marketing does is try and push pain points in people. They literally say this. You have to look for a problem somebody has and then sell them the solution to that problem. But if we don't, if, if everything is focusing on problems we have all the time, are we just getting constantly bombarded with these um, that are creating negative signals in the brain? I don't, it seems like yeah. it's going to destabilize people's emotions. Well, as far I mean, as I can go. I mean, like chronic stress is definitely yeah. a, a facet of the modern age. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's kind of mad to think about really. Cause if you think about like what the stress response is, right. It's, mm-hmm. Like the stress response is a response to like you're you're on the you're on the savanna yeah. and a lion is running at you and yeah. it's like I need to survive right now. Let's yeah. turn off like let's you know increase heart rate, you mm-hmm. know increase your <laughs> yeah. blood pressure. But like let's turn off reproduction, like healing yep. your your mm-hmm. your tissues, you know anything that's not important. Let's turn that all off because you know we might be eating in like four seconds. And jack then, it up. Mm. That same that same response is like in, is being you know, activated in response to thinking about your mortgage or like, <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean? Or like something, something even more abstract, like mm. for like a character in a, in a book or something. Yeah. You know, you like, like you're literally, mm. you know, a response that is basically to stop you getting disemboweled on the Savannah is like the same thing is basically being used constantly. We're using it to like watch Lord because, of the Rings. Because of our abstract notions. It's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need to get ourselves together, man. Abstract notions. Yeah. Stress is a really interesting one. Um, I've been studying that a little bit myself, trying to lower my cortisol levels because yeah. I've been pretty stressed and things like um, sleeping more. And I think it was initiating human growth hormone. So things like intermittent fasting, apparently, it's very good for lowering cortisol. Yeah, well, that's that, that taps into, again, the what we were saying with the Wim Hof stuff, where it's like, you know, these mechanisms that evolved, mm-hmm. like, you know, if you, if you fast, yeah. that's something that would have happened. That's like, more know, normal. Yeah, back in the day, yeah, at times we were hungry, at times we were cold, whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you so by that's why fasting is good for you, is because like mm-hmm. you're tapping into those systems where it's like, yeah. okay, now we're gonna that's the cycle, and then you can heal, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um in your thesis, was there any conclusions that you drew about was it you were only focusing on the psychedelic treatment of addiction, or was there any other stuff about addiction that um were you looking at other kinds of treatments or was there anything about addiction that you learned that you thought would be useful to people? Um, I mean, it was, it was neuroscience. So it was all very, um, looking at the kind of the epigenetics of, yeah. you know, like cell, like cell cultures and stuff. <laughs> there wasn't yeah. much like human application. <laughs> yeah. um, serotonin is something we haven't touched on. The old, yeah. the old serotonin. Well, that's the, um, so, you know, psychedelics, basically, the structure of them, they look very similar to serotonin and they activate the serotonin receptor. So mm-hmm. that's how that's how they kind of tap into it. Serotonin is also used in maintaining social status. As far as I understand that your uh, position in the hierarchy maintains is basically tracked by the serotonergic system. And yeah. that's actually the same in all mammals and even like... Yeah primitive creatures um yeah. yeah i know i know another i know another important thing for um for that like for hierarchy interestingly enough is yeah. testosterone so yeah. 
you know how testosterone is kind of associated with aggression yeah. in general it's not actually to do with that it's actually to do with maintaining kind of social mm-hmm. hierarchies so like oh yeah in like basically if you know most the maintain the maintenance of most social hierarchies is to do mm-hmm. with aggression because that's mm-hmm. you know that, that's what we're like but yeah. you can see in some species where it's not not so much about aggression like yeah. if, if if being the top dog is about being nice to people then testosterone will actually drive you to do that instead of like we're all so jacked up on being nice to each other just yeah yeah if it's like if, if that's what's if that's the thing that yeah. effectively mm-hmm. cohes cohesives the group together you know yeah. then that's what it will drive it to it's it's not as it's not as like just it's about aggression you know it's not as binary as if yeah it makes you really aggressive yeah. but even like aggression in hierarchies in like chimps is one thing i've been looking at with yeah how theirs works that it's not actually the most aggressive chimps that rise to the top it seems to be the ones that curry favor with all of the that have like the best alliances because if there's just a really aggressive one the other ones will gang up and kill it um yeah yeah so it's more stabilized by well you wouldn't call it politics but something like um diplomacy between all because chimps as far as diplomacy diplomacy. yeah because (laughs) they have as i was reading a thing about the other day that they have no they very little ability to inhibit aggression so if they run into other chimps from a different troop they'll just immediately attack them and try and tear them to shreds or if they're eating like colobus monkeys even though they're kind of small and cute they'll still just tear them apart and eat them but if chimps from the same troop fight each other their other chimps get very agitated and they don't fight as intensely as they would with other ones. So it's like that the social group actually inhibits their aggression for them. Um, yeah, and um, that, that guy, Robert Sapolsky, that I was telling you about, his, yeah. big, his big shtick for years, like what, what kind of put him on the map was he wrote a book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, which is, yeah. all, about st- which is all about stress. And he basically, he basically spent most of his life every summer going out studying mm. chimpanzees just yeah. like hanging out watching them yeah. and looking at basically stress in chimpanzees and it, and it turns out like you know the, the chimp aggression the most of the time is about i'm stressed out yeah. and i'm going to take it out on the one who's one down in the ladder from me it's like yeah. you know and then that makes them feel less stressed because it's like that's their outlet it's like i'm going to be mean to you and then that chimp will be mean to the one who's one down in the ladder again. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it keeps going down like that. So they're that. just letting off steam. Onto the one below them, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. It's interesting. There was a thing I was reading. I got quite into evolutionary psychology lately. I was reading some of Anthony Stevens' work because I've kind of been on this tip of, for a very long time, I had like, I don't know, almost like a dualist mentality about human nature that we were, we had like the psychology and biology weren't the same thing. And the more I've studied it, it's very apparent that consciousness emerges out of this biological system. If you could, that's kind of a metaphor, but at the very least that the biological uh, subsystem controls psychology. Like so much of human psychology is these evolved emotional and motivational systems that we share with animals. Um, So I've been kind of, yeah, reading a lot about that and animal models of psychology do you ever uh, you started out doing psychology sure was your first degree yeah i i didn't uh didn't like it too much you weren't a big uh, fan no not particularly i mean i i'm definitely a big functionalist yeah 
in terms of in terms of the brain like i do think that you know mm-hmm. consciousness is like an emergent property of complexity right yeah so like you know how when things are really complicated this is where we're gonna get we're, we're going straight into the free will debate here I'm like, yeah, I'm like right. strap me in we're going to free will right now um yeah I know. yeah like, this could be good yeah to me when you look at all these things about yeah. how you know we constantly think that we know what we're at it's like i did this yeah. because because this is what i wanted to do and yeah. time and time again you look at all these examples like with the metaphors we're talking about you know yeah. Mm-hmm. with you know like how the environment can affect you and you and mm-hmm. we never we never think about it like a, a yeah. great a great example of that is they, they did this great there's this great study with um with judges in america right where they showed that basically um if you're in front of a judge and you're being sentenced yeah. um there's depending on the time of day your outcomes are much worse so if it's just <laughs> if, it's, if it's if it's just before if it's just before lunch yeah then you have a much much higher case of getting really unfairly treated and just put away because the is judge hungry? is hungry and they <laughs> yeah. don't have enough they don't have any glu- enough glucose in their brain and their yeah. empathy isn't working as well because yeah. there isn't enough energy in their brain for the frontal to cortex for empathy. To, for empathy, yeah. <laughs> yeah you know so time and time again there's all these situations where we think we did this because of that and we have these post kind of hoc rationalizations of oh i did this because yeah. you know this this is mm-hmm. my morals or blah blah but time and time again like we're being controlled by all these biological forces and it's just yeah. like you know i don't know is there even a you i don't i don't, I don't even i know, know. yeah <laughs> i definitely i mean i like that sigmund freud for all of his mad fucking ideas had a good point that you know you're not master in your own house that there are all these other influences like motivations and emotions which we just so aren't aware of that even when you reflect back on them you're kind of like mm. I don't know. I, it was an interesting thing, like asking people, like we always think we have these very developed goals or things we think about, but a lot of the time they can be boiled down to like status or sex or something like, you know, these kind of basic emotional drives that we all share, although yeah. they can be, you know, pretty noble. Um, the fact that uh, we're basically animals is where it kind of, like how much consciousness would you credit a chimpanzee with or how much would you credit even smaller animals like squirrels? It seems like to me though- I think I'd credit a chimpanzee with as much as we have. <laughs> yeah, do you think so? They just lack- I think so, yeah. Well, they lack the ability, I suppose, to represent the future and they don't have this um, bootstrapping- yeah, but they're, they're, of, living it, they're living in the moment. They're li- yeah, they're, <laughs> just, they're just enjoying their life, man. Okay. Yeah, yeah, come um, on. Like- yeah, it's interesting. What was it? They could trade- um, I, I'll mess it up. It was a study that I watched, but uh, yeah, about chimpanzees trading for pornography. They were like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I know, I know the one you're talking about. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They could trade. The details of that as well. They'd be oh, like yeah. gi- given food, but they could give up the food for naked pictures of other chimpanzees. <laughs> like, or no, I think what it was, or I think it was, I think the, like, um, I think that the female chimpanzees started effectively like using prostitution to get oh more, maybe um, that was it okay. to get more like carrots or whatever they were into I don't know what it was yeah um, but yeah free will and consciousness I the conclusion I've come to I suppose looking at is that the psychology emerges out of biology and that the body is yeah. very much in the mind the mind isn't yeah. this free floating kind of thing well I'll tell you I'll tell you one creepy experiment which um, yeah which mm-hmm. kind of, to me, gives a lot of um, backing to functionalism. Yeah. 
So there's this, um, you know, neural networks, obviously, like yeah. uh, they're basically artificial intelligence, you know, buzzword networks that are trying to mimic the structure of the brain. Like AI and, deep learning kind of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And basically a few years ago, um, there's this there's this animal called C. elegans, right, which is like a worm, yeah. which is, it's probably the best studied organism in, in science. Like they yeah. know, they know exactly how many neurons it has. They know exactly how they connect. They know the neuron dynamics. They know, they know everything about this worm, basically. Yeah. Like it only has like 200 neurons or something, mm-hmm. 300, you know, it's brain. And basically we have a good understanding of like mm-hmm. the, the dynamics of how neurons work, how, you know, they're gating mechanics, like the actual potentials, basically how they're kind of interacting with each other. Like what will make one, mm-hmm. how much it takes for one to activate, blah, 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 blah. And they made a, they made a neural network of the worm brain. Right. And uh, basically put in all the different parameters of like, yeah. you know, if this much activation, then actual potential, blah, blah, blah. And they just slapped it in and they made this virtual worm and they put it into like, <laughs> a, they, they put it into like a robot, right? Yeah. And then they didn't program anything. They just put in the parameters of what the neurons will do. Yeah. And then they set it off and the worm acted nearly identical to how the, the behavior actual worm emerged. Acts. It yeah. was the exact same. Mm. It was the exact same. Yeah. So they basically created... A virtual worm, virtual, yeah. That I mean, is, that, but but it but it is just as alive in many ways. Like it does the same things. It has the yeah. same behaviors. Like it moves away in fear. It like whatever you know. Yeah. So mm-hmm. is that alive? Like to me, well, like, that's kind of. I mean, that's what our emotional systems are really. They they are pre-programmed and they are kind of like an evolutionary survival kit. So a creature like that that works entirely on instinct and impulse, where you're just being pushed towards or away from things. I could see that working. For me, free will in human beings comes from the ability to inhibit impulses across time. It's not something that we have now. I mean, once you start like a ballistic, you know, those Libets experiments, like where you can predict Libets was those ones where it was essentially brain activity happens before you move. So you can show that ahead of time, before you make the conscious decision to move, that's already done. Um, it's already happened, yeah. Yeah, it's already happened. So that's like with a ballistic movement. But a good metaphor I heard for it is it's, it's like driving a car. So you have whatever is happening just in front of you, it's already too late. But across time, further ahead, you can inhibit certain impulses to create certain outcomes. But it's a lot less, I think, than people would think it is. I think there's a gradient to free will. Um, but that depends, I suppose, if you're going for a hard determinism or compatibilism. Yeah, I mean, personally, I don't think there's any free will. Yeah. But I, I don't think mm-hmm. that, I don't think that it's, it's as dire of a thing as people kind of think, you know? Well, like, I think I have a problem with it because I think a lot of time free will debate comes down to, should I make an effort or not? And when you tell people they yeah, don't yeah. have free will, there's, yeah, a, yeah, I know. there's a great experiment uh, that they did in Stanford where they told these students, basically, they had them read uh, Francis Crick's work and basically saying that you don't have free will yada yada it's um it's determined and then they gave them a test and they gave them they set up the experiment so that they could cheat on the test so there was a way to see the answers and the group that read the bit on free will cheated much more than the control group that didn't <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i think when you tell people they don't have free will yeah. they just slowly kind of slump towards their baser impulses and impulse control and delay of gratification suffers because that's it, actually it, it, it is a very difficult concept. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to me, to me, like the whole point of it, of, of mm-hmm. this debate 
it should mm. be more like you should like you should I don't know I don't go oh there's no free will I'm gonna yeah. freak out now and just do whatever like yeah what it makes what it makes me think about more <laughs> is stuff like the justice system right so you know in America how well all of the world really basically our justice system is based on in terms of neuroscience it's based on the 1840s so like we have criminal we have like criminal um defense whatever you know we have stuff like you know obviously if you crash a car after having an epileptic fit you're gonna get some amount of you know of the blame is alleviated you know or like you know you're you're schizophrenic there's a certain level of that but it hasn't got any further than that whereas in reality time and time again if you look at all this stuff like you know your upbringing whatever like people like Anyone who ever does anything really bad, it's a direct result of yeah. having a bad upbringing. I, or, I understand you know, that argument. I do. I get it all right in terms of, well, there is other things like if it's a crime of passion or if it's premeditated yeah. and you get, but the, the, it is kind of shading. But the problem but that is. Doesn't, it, it, but it doesn't get rid of the blame. That's the thing. It doesn't not get rid of the blame. But the no. problem, we, we can't make, we've never been able to make functional societies without personal responsibility whether it's real or not yeah, yeah. actually being the cornerstone of it because as, the minute you take it away it's gonna be like the fucking purge <laughs> where people are like ah. but so I it guess, has some guess, real world i guess i guess i guess like the the thing that the way i think about it is like you know it shouldn't be about punishment like words like evil and like this person deserves this or punishment like it shouldn't be seen like that it should be seen like you know like, would you let would you let a faulty car be driven around and someone crash and dies because it's faulty? No, you wouldn't. Similarly, mm. someone who's going to be murdering people, you're not going to let them out. Do you know what I mean? But you're but at the same time, you shouldn't be like this person deserves this punishment. Mm. Like you should it shouldn't be in those terms. It should be you know there should be a level of compassion there. Yeah, I think. I well, I I think I understand. Yeah, and I do have a level of compassion for it. That in a sense that people can become very embittered and resentful by terrible circumstances and sometimes you're like you know did you ever get, hear that guy carl Panzram? no who was a mass murderer in i think it was in the early 1900s but he was his life was just the most horrendous thing you've ever just like sexually assaulted abused taken from foster family to foster family that just raped him raped by priests like the worst life ever to begin with and then he became a serial killer and he just murdered gay men and you're like I mean, I could see how your mind goes there, but it still doesn't justify doing it. There's other people that have had terrible lives that didn't, you know, brood on it and become resentful and murderous. I think we do hold people yeah. accountable, even though the cards are uneven. And um, the only way for it to function for everybody, and also for yourself, I think, if you're told that you're entitled to be resentful because of your suffering. I mean, we all inflate our own suffering. On what level could we not make our lives a personal tragedy? Each yeah, of us. Yeah. Where you could say, you know, like I was born as a baby. I was completely helpless. I had no, you know, I couldn't do anything for myself. And then you're like, well, yeah, but we all get kind of, you know, there's degrees to it, certainly. But it it only functions if we take responsibility for our personal tragedies rather than 100%, yeah. the idea that we can kind of um, but that's the strange that's the strange mm. i suppose like paradox of being a human right Where yeah it's like that's not like, your fault a lot of the time in terms of so <laughs> in terms of the science 
that's yeah. just a story you tell yourself. But yeah. it, it's actually a story that that mm-hmm. is true on another level. Like the yeah. human story, the, the human story of being a human. Is, well, it's is phenomenologically like, it, very it's true. A different, like it, if it's somebody, a different, it's a different thing, you know. If somebody kills yeah. your mother, you're not going to be like, ah, the Big Bang, thirteen point eight billion years ago, and it's been we've been catapulted to this moment ever since. You're going to be like, yeah, yeah. that fucking bastard, like. Yeah, so yeah, 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 we don't we don't act the way I think there's also something missing probably in the worldview. I was listening to Sir Roger Penrose, you know, the physicist um, yeah, thinking about that, about the deterministic model of because, I mean, if Newtonian physics is correct and the universe is just a clock that's been wound ever since the Big Bang, then we would have no free will. It would be that that started the clock and everything went after it. But if that's actually incorrect, and and Roger Penrose has a thing basically of a a series of sequential Big Bangs, so it's kind of, there is an uncertainty in it. But it's funny that you have to, for the argument of free will, you have to go back to the, the start of time. <laughs> you're like, I know, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're like, where is this? It seems so strange. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it can get very abstract, but I, yeah, I think... I mean, it's not exactly your everyday kind of thing, is it? No, the way we act... Uh, we credit each other and we hold each other. You, you feel if somebody short changes you, you feel like that was, you know, wrong or you'll feel like it was, um, there is that kind of but reciprocal I, I find, dynamic. I find the, um, the mentality, the kind of the, the no free will mentality. Yeah. I actually find it for me, it's quite, um, mm-hmm. quite like Buddhist or something. Like I find it's yeah. really useful for not like mm-hmm. if someone does something that pisses me off, I just literally kind of go, Oh well, they only did that because their accumulation. They're probably having a bad day. Blah blah. Their hormones. They're a bit more yeah. stressed out. Just whatever. Yeah. And then yeah. instead of it being about them, I just turn it into biology, and it's just like it just takes it away from this. And it then takes my the edge off. Of, mm. My emotions don't engage with it as much because it's like I'm yeah. I'm putting it on an abstract level. To get me. Well, they do say. I mean, I've gotten really into the Stoics lately, and Epictetus has a thing like that, being like when you're. What is it? When you're not educated, you blame everybody else. When you're kind of educated, you blame yourself. But when you're really educated, you don't blame anybody. <laughs> you're kind of like, you realize that there is a lot of forces at play that we're not in control of, but also that the best strategy is to hold yourself as accountable as possible. Um, I think, yeah, free will is an interesting one. It's definitely, it's not absolute in the sense that there's, you can do whatever you want. We're, we're playing like a game of chess. I think with certain constraints that allow allow for moves to be made, but that there are constraints that exist. Um, it is an interesting one, though. I definitely, I think it would destroy society, though, if you went around telling everybody they don't have free will. I know, yeah, that's. The <laughs> I think uh, I think immediate the immediate response to that is to just give up. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You're like, ah, so I'm fucked. <laughs> you're like, so, well. So- Probably so it's inevitable not. that I just sit in my underpants and play World of Warcraft yeah, you're 14 like, hours a day. There's no, the, other, there's no other way. <laughs> the Big Bang did this to me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, it's a weird frame of reference to take on things. But um, how, yeah. And so with neuroscience, are you going to, you're in Galway at the moment playing tunes. Are you going to do any more of the neuroscience, do you think? Yeah, man, I started um, I started a master's there Ooh, in like September. Nice. Um, and it was in like neuropharmacology. And as it turns out, I'm probably the worst person ever for that because I'm just so skeptical about most pharmaceutical usage. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, well, I mean, I was, rightly so, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, whatever about that. That's another, it's another mm-hmm. conversation. But yeah. basically, I um, it was just, man, it was terrible. It was like there was no going in. It was just all in front of the computer. 
Yeah. And like the whole point of the masters is like, you're supposed to learn how to do science things in the science place. And then people will hire <laughs> yeah. you to do that. And it's like, okay, I'm going to learn how to theoretically like, you know, fill these vials and whatnot. Like, and not science actually learn. from home. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I, I just feel like it's kind of a scam at the moment. Like a lot of people it are is. doing very like, big like, scam. How many, how many people are doing masters? And then, you know, in years to come, like potential uh, employers are just going to be like, oh, you did your masters during the pandemic at home, like in your <laughs> underpants. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right. I think we might not hire you. So like, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it is a scam, man. And they still take the money off you. Like it's, I don't know. And I mean, if you're going to do it from online, you can do like fucking Stanford courses or Harvard or, I mean, all courses are available on the internet. If we're all going to be learning online, I'd rather learn the best stuff possible anyway. I just feel like it's kind of, there's an interesting guy I was listening to. Um, he talks about aggressive self-directed learning. This guy did the MIT robotics course, which takes four years and he did it in six months and passed the exam. And he's not like a genius. Pretty hard, that's pretty hardcore. It's very hardcore, but he's like, but it's all online. And he was like, okay, it usually takes four years, but he was like, but if I do it this way and just do it catered for the exam, I can do it in this period of time. And he comes that out with, horrible. with the same qualification though. And you're like, wait, hang on. How is this like, how does accreditation work anymore in a time when, you know, people can just do whatever they want online? I feel like the education system is going to get shook up. It needs to probably. change radically, yeah. 100%. It, yeah, it's a bit, it seems a bit um, antiquated. But so you're you're not going to finish it then? Do you think you'll go? No, no, I, I dropped after? out of it. I, I yeah. dropped out of it like in like November. Yeah. Maybe wait uh, until the pandemic's over. Yeah, and I'm definitely I'm going to do a different subject. Um, yeah. Just the pharmacology just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, when man, I really... Into, when you start looking into it, it just gets really dodgy really quickly, you know? <laughs> yeah, you're probably getting handoffs to take. You're like, hmm, say this drug is good. and Like, like I'm not, like, I'm not one of these people who... Um, you know, I'm like, man, antidepressants are bad or anything. Like, yeah. it's it's a fact that, like, mm-hmm. you know, there is people who get massive help by anti- antidepressants. You know, it's save like, your life. Get, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, obviously, it it works in tandem. You need the therapy as well, but it's like the foot in the door that can help people massively. Yeah. But it's also like, you know, it's a psychotropic drug. Like, yeah. like what what um, SSRIs actually are, right? Is it's a serotonin selective uptake re-inhibitor. So it basically blocks the serotonin getting taken back so mm-hmm. you have more of it but you yeah. know what the dopamine reuptake inhibitor is that's cocaine like it's the same mechanism <laughs> is that what they like call it's, it now? <laughs> like it's it works yeah. in the same way as cocaine just on yeah. serotonin so mm-hmm. it makes you think like you know what are the effects not, of that mm-hmm. yeah it's not just this thing where it's like it's always good and because a doctor prescribed i know it, i'm very you know, hesitant about some of that that's something i mean i understand how important they are for helping people particularly if you're in really bad shape i mean if you try it and it works for you that's amazing but the, the possibility of chemical imbalances in the long run uh is it can be very difficult as far as i understand anyway for people to get off them after yeah, like, like, like how many like how many people are treating uh like like you're basically like how many people are you know mentally ill because mm-hmm. of the modern age and the fact that they're not exposing themselves yeah like if like how many people mm-hmm. could, could if they first tried you know exercising regularly and yeah. like you know cold water exposure oh, and fasting if they tried yeah. that first like how many mm-hmm. people do you think 
would be much better off doing that. Oh man, there's so many alternatives really. And a lot of the time you're getting treated for problems in your life. I mean, if you're surrounded by assholes and your family is in bits and you know, you've got a drug or alcohol problem and it's like, you're going to experience a lot of suffering because of that. And necessarily the the medication won't fix those actual problems that are going on. It's just another, it's just another thing that you're reliant on, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of a quick fix maybe that um, can get out of hand. And again, again, I don't, I don't want to be that guy who's like, man, pharmaceutical (laughs) industry, bro. Like, you know, all you need to do is like exercise and you'll be fine. Like, I know it it genuinely does help people massively. A hundred percent. Like, I'm very glad it exists. Yeah. I really am glad it exists, but it's, it's just, you know, the, the, the intersection of medicine and profit is just kind of terrifying. You yeah, know? it's a bit spooky, man. And I think a lot of the time, if you're, there might be, I mean, this might be a generalization, but it it can turn into the easier way of doing things rather than facing up to the other stuff. And there is, I mean, I don't know, have you ever read Thomas Zaz, The Myth of Mental Illness and the issues with diagnosing mental illness and how it can become... Yeah, yeah conflated with lots of other um because they're not actual they're not like diseases it's just a symptomatology and yeah what it means it's a box and it it dictates a certain treatment but it doesn't imply what the cause is it just says that this is oh it's depression because of x y and z but it's x y and z because of depression the, the interesting thing about those boxes as well is that um it's come out in recent years that Mm -hmm. Those boxes are actually just massively overlapping. Like yeah. um, they did these gene studies, mm-hmm. like these massive gene studies with like hundreds of thousands of people, yeah. and they showed that like you know with the, uh, with all the mental illnesses, if you there's basically uh, all these different genes that are like you know risk mm-hmm. genes, and yeah. they all overlap massively. So mm-hmm. you know if you have what is considered depression, you will have yeah. a, a small bit of anxiety. You'll have a yeah. small bit of bipolar. You'll have a small bit of this and that. Like yeah. there's always a touch of all of them. Do you get me? Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're all interrelated. Yeah. It's like, this, uh, and putting them, separating them out and being like, this is depression. This takes mm-hmm. this drug. This is his friend to say this drug. In yeah. reality, they're interconnected more than we realize. You know? yeah. yeah. The medicalization of psychology. And I often think about, I wonder a lot about the ideal that's implicit in it. Like I always think about that. Like we have a massive mental health movement, but, I don't really know what the definition of a mentally healthy person is. I mean, is it a person that experiences no suffering? Is it a person that doesn't, you know, is it a person that's just positive and bubbly and extroverted all the time? It's not clear exactly what the ideal state of functioning is because life is tough. Like people fall down and terrible things happen. And like, if your parents die, is that, you know, is your grief a mental illness? Is that, you know, we, we can kind of become adverse to negative emotion but negative emotion is a, a part of life as well it's not all trauma you know what i mean i mean, even though it might be traumatic it's also kind of um the risk of medicalizing things that are actually just a part of life and 100 yeah human beings like, like 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 suffering is inevitable as, as a human that's just a part of it that's like, like coming to corner. terms with it is important you know yeah and that's some idea that we shouldn't have that maybe I just feel like it's, um, we can kind of glamorize maybe the mental illness and the way of treating it and, um, recognize that a lot of these difficulties in life are part of it. 
like exactly what we're saying with the stress inoculation, the Wim Hof method, stressing yourself so that you're stronger afterwards, going into the cold water so you feel more comfortable when you're not in the cold water. Um, it's, yeah, it's the same thing, man. It's, you know, the modern age is just mm-hmm. constantly trying to make you as comfortable as possible, mm-hmm. right? Like anything yeah. that's just uncomfortable, just like shy away from it, run away. And from that like uncomfortable is like a malfunction or something. Like it's something yeah. you should be afraid of, but it's actually oftentimes the door or the portal to actually learning something. Well, like that, that's what boils down to like what humans are all about, you know, like, mm. like what makes us happy is mm-hmm. achieving meaning through hardship, right? Like actually yeah. like mm-hmm. a goal that's difficult to achieve and then you do yeah. it and it's like, oh, now I'm happy about that. You know, like that's. Uh, yeah, that maps kind of onto the neurology well also, because I mean, of course you want the goal to be difficult because you only get the reward while you're pursuing the goal. So if it's easy, you're not going to yeah, get yeah. the reward for very long. It's going to be no, like, no, no. you're just going to get it and then you're going to be like, ah, right. Maybe another one, <laughs> but also the kind of a kind of a, a, kind of a <laughs> depressing realization is that yeah. we're not we're not like we're not designed to be content or happy. You know no, what I mean? like, no, like we are we are designed to always strive for more because that's what evolutionarily makes sense, right? Yeah, and also that we live in a complex environment that's constantly changing, and that there's while what works now, there's no guarantee that that will work next week or that will work in 10 days so there's a constant process of adaptation to the changing environment that's kind of built into evolution that's what struck me about emotions that was interesting that they're kind of like this survival toolkit that evolution gives you because your evolution is blind and you're facing a complex environment so it's like it's like the best bet that it's like okay if i give you these things you should be all right facing whatever myriad of things that can occur but that's actually kind of become uh i suppose our a weakness in the modern world because of technology abusing it yeah and and that's how we come full circle back to the uh yeah. the psychedelic the psychedelics because yeah. um <laughs> like i i, I suppose you know the, we're talking about chronic stress and stuff right yeah and like your system being stuck like mm-hmm you know, a way, a way that you can break out of that kind of mold mm-hmm. is potentially to uh, indulge in a little bit of. Yeah. Or uh, even like what side, you're you saying, know? like with cold water therapy, I think yeah. there's a big role. I don't know if you'd know anything about, but with ritual and um, a ritual and transformation of consciousness, like there was always this big thing in tribes of initiation. And the point of initiation was to give you uh, such a big problem that you understood what problems were in general. So you'd be put in a cave yeah. for a week. And then when you came back, you'd be like, oh, thank fuck. Everything's, you're like, it's not, <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, it's cool. I got a bit of food. I got to sit in here. There's people. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. actually, it's actually all right. So I think there's a big need for people to initiate themselves. Wim Hof is a great example of that in some sort of big challenge so that you can contextualize what problems are in general. Because the safer we are, the more dangerous everything is going to feel. Because we're going to feel like exactly. completely unprepared for it. But yeah, it's funny. It's funny you say that because the way Wim Hof actually got to that point was through mm-hmm. extreme hardship. Like, mm-hmm. have you heard about his backstory at all? Yeah, with his wife, I had heard. Yeah, about yeah. It. Mm-hmm. That's how he. Got, that's how he kind of got into all that. Was mm-hmm. as a response to that. You know, he had to find his own way. Yeah, and that she was. She was ill, and she was. I think she died. Yeah, I mean, she, committed he had to, she committed, she committed suicide. suicide and he had yeah. to take care of all of the kids 
And that's an interesting thing, man, because like he's already suffering so immensely there. And then he goes out and chooses to suffer more. You're like, well, who's you'd think he'd be having a few beers and watching TV. The the funny thing, the funny thing about the cold, though, is Mm. like I I always have this conversation where like, like I I've been swimming like a lot, a lot of time, like three times a day in the river the yeah. last few months like mm-hmm. constantly and like i'd be going out at night and stuff and the lads were like man like you're crazy how are you doing this but yeah it's funny i don't get like when you get used to it like you lose that kind of like like the like the fear yeah. and the negativity of it is gone yeah. and it's just like you run you run there you hop in you give one second of oh it's cold and then it's just like you just feel amazing you know? Yeah. you know like instantly so i just imagine that that's exactly what was mm-hmm. going on with him as well you know that yeah, he always he described the cold as a teacher, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. He was like, I needed to learn something, and when he hit the cold water, he realized this is what was going to teach him what he needed to know. I think maybe that's a good metaphor for everybody's life. I mean, I found that definitely in martial arts and the suffering involved in that, and the discipline and like getting up at six in the morning to run and train and everything. That yeah. definitely puts things in perspective and. It's very hard to learn something, really. I think to learn I, anything. I, I find, I find, but I find with the cold, mm. like I am, um, I kind of have, I have like pretty bad anxiety at times, and yeah. I have like chronic, chronic pain and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of, I'm, my whole system is always kind of like revved up. If you know what I mean, like the yeah, leg yeah. going and like, yeah. and like when you're in the mm-hmm. cold mm-hmm. and you just focus on your breathing in the cold, yeah. like there's nothing else. You know, you're just, yeah. you're just there. You're just there. I'm like, very just, like that as well. Into your body. Do you find you were saying you have insomnia? Also, I have terrible times sleeping, man. And my brain, unless I do like certain things with my brain, if I use it and like I have to maintain a certain routine, or else I just get out of whack and I'm thinking too much. And I can't sleep, and I, I have to. I find I have to maintain a certain kind of schedule, or else my I'll, I'll be the same way where I'm just like up to the nines. Um, yeah, it's, it's a strange one, man. I find, uh, yeah, it, we're, we're, cre- we're creatures of habit and routine. Yeah, for sure, man. And also that, you know, you get life for free, but if you want a good life, it's going to cost you a bit of sacrifice and a bit of actual, um, yeah, routine basically. But, um, yeah, man, getting a good, getting a routine is the hardest thing ever. Like I've been <laughs> trying yeah. to do it for like the last year. Yeah, I think the lockdown's so bad for it as well, man. Where you're, yeah. everything's getting cancelled and stuff starting and stopping and up and yeah, down. It's all a bit up in the air, right? Yeah. Although it's funny, it's funny. Like most people who talk about the lockdown being bad and how terrible it is, I personally have found it to be like one of the best things that ever happened to me. Just how yeah. much it's like leveled me out. Yeah. Yeah. Me too, man. So fucked, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. now I'm just like, oh, I I can just hop in the river and whatever. I don't, do you know what I mean? The need for like constant stimulation, the need to go out, the need to like, whatever, drink and see people and blah, Mm. blah, blah. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of, I've managed to kind of break free of all that now. Yeah, man, that's really interesting. Do you think um, that it's kind of forced you to look at the the lack of stimulation kind of helped you reflect on your behavior in the past and then you're kind of like hmm, do i need to keep doing this yeah well like the way i used to be was i'd be like oh i shouldn't go out and session for days on end but then yeah. when it came down to it someone would be like oh there's a party happening like, yeah. I, I just i have no willpower i just always give <laughs> into it you know and then whereas, whereas because 
from the last year yeah it was instantly teleport to it somehow like yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like for the last year because that hasn't been an option it's like i've managed to change and through the code as well i've managed to like break out of that mode you know and like kind of form a new thing i, I feel like now i'd be much more capable of avoiding all that you know man that's so funny that we mentioned that like literally the the conversation that i was having with two chaps endurance um which will be on the podcast this week as well is exactly that same topic which is yeah. using things like endurance to replace the stimulation of the session and you know those kind of instant gratification things yeah. and that you can actually live a fulfilled life without it that's something i've kind of realized since i've been doing like 6 months off the booze and then 6 months on and just kind of realizing, wow, I've, I don't need this. And I've used it to medicate myself, to yeah, hide yeah. from all the negative feelings that I have all the time, all the negative uh, thoughts that I have, all the rumination, all the worrying that so many of my habits that were bad were just a way of hiding from that. And 100%. the lockdown really showed me that. It really gave me an opportunity to stand face to face with that, which is a silver lining for such a fucking ball bag of a time really <laughs> yeah it's 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 a funny one whenever whenever i tell people that i've been having a great time in the lockdown they're just like fuck you man you're <laughs> yeah. like, straight away you're like oh you're that guy aren't oh, you? no. been... the, the internet the internet just hates me now because <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> the one guy who's been enjoying it you're like god yeah. damn it not this guy nah, no, in, fair, in fairness though I, i've i've been lucky as well i've i live with some really good mates so we get yeah. on real well that's a yeah. massive one like i can't imagine what it would be like the last year if you were living with people you didn't really know yeah and you're you're a musician as well so you guys probably haven't been able to play have you yeah well we have a drunk in the sitting room oh uh, nice. the poor the poor neighbors <laughs> 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 i'll leave it at that yeah i know just... i know it hasn't been too bad in fairness Sam. yeah we've been we've been reasonable enough well like, we've actually been we've been kind of uh playing down it's down on the prom again the last while yeah. and it's nice there's like it's like a spot there where it's big and open so you know people can watch it and be at a distance and not have to be all scrunched up yeah enough and man the response were, the response we're getting from people like people are just like so desperate for a, a return to like normality oh, like you know a bit yeah. of music a bit of like people are just yeah. so like when they see it, they're like almost over the moon because they're like, wow, like it's live it's a music. Bit of, a bit of life is back. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. It's funny the things you miss, like actually seeing people playing music in the flesh is yeah. so something you would have taken for granted is very normal. But in its absence, man, it's we're not really built for this kind of isolation. Really. Not at all, dude. We're, we're, we're social beings. We like it's for sure. I really would worry about the like lasting impact of all this, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that comes up time and time again on the podcast when I'm talking to people being like, you know, the, this has been bad enough, but what are the, what's the after effects going to be for people, you know, for particularly young people and stuff that have been cooped up this entire time. But yeah. that's probably another podcast. Um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure everyone has thought about that enough. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you don't, you don't need to think about it again. <laughs> yeah, like, no, 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 let's let's get let's really get into it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. So March last year yeah. was totally fun. <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> relive the entire thing. Uh, what's the name of your band? Did you have? Uh, I had various things going on, but I mean, it's yeah. all kind of dissolved now, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, what I, I'd be playing just mm-hmm. with whoever kind of yeah. like. 
when I, at the moment. And are you guitar Soto. singing? Yeah, yeah. Singing guitar. Nice. Man, I'd love to come down and see you sometime. Galway's such a buzz. Beautiful place. Uh, shockingly, it's a little bit quieter than it once was, but... I could, yeah, fuck, I could imagine, man. There's probably not as much going on. But, um, yeah, I think that's a good place to end it. I've definitely, you've certainly provided the science. That's what I was... There, yeah, but to be honest, man, you fucking, you provided a lot of science yourself. I've been you doing... More, you had a lot more references. Thank you very much, Aaron. I appreciate cool. it, bro. That was great, man. Good to, good to talk to you.